This episode of Blackwell is brought to you by Sacktown Interactive. Check out their game, Breaking Ba, now available on the App Store and Google Play. This show is also brought to you by patrons. Patron support helps this show make it what it is. And if you want to support us, visit patreon.com forward slash Blackwell Files podcast. What do you get as a patron? Patrons get things like bonus episodes, commercial-free early release, and a shout-out on the show. Your support helps us make this show stronger and allows us to bring you more stories. Step into the world of the paranormal with Alex Blackwell. These are the Blackwell Files. The town of Kopala was practically a ghost town with less than a hundred people remaining. The streets were empty, and except for a couple sitting in their living room with the door open to get some relief in the humid heat, I hadn't seen another person during my short walk from where the Riga had dropped me off on the hill where Maria Rosa still lived. Once the 450-year-old village had been a booming town in the Mexican state of Sinaloa with an active silver mine, but when the mines closed... The work dried up, and people left. There were a few holdouts, including a craftsman named Alejandro, who made beautiful carnival masks from leather, like sheep and cows, that people from the city made two-hour treks to get to, and owned the town's only restaurant. It was a place caught in a time warp, and not likely to catch up to the 21st century anytime soon. Those who did still live there made a meager living doing odd jobs in Mazalan, or from the busloads of cruise tourists on expeditions that local tour companies ran. It was the perfect place to unwind, and considering that Maria had an extensive occult library on demonology, ritual sacrifice, and other topics, a great place to do some research. Since Marnie's disappearance, I'd been obsessed. I needed to know what happened to her. There was no evidence of her death, and being a medium, I should have been able to sense her. I couldn't. She was just gone. And no one in the family could tell me what happened beyond the mirror. I'd put in a request to the archives for older, rarer books that may help, but they'd been dragging their feet. Maria Rosa came from a long line of demonologists tied to the local Catholic parish. Her family represented 450 years of hands-on knowledge dating back to the time before they'd even left Spain. And her husband, Pablo, was no slouch either. He was a highly knowledgeable brujo, an expert in South and Central American cryptozoology. Neither were Blackwells, but I had come to know them over the years thanks to their help on some of my cases. Maria Rosa, or Maria as she was known to her friends, greeted me at the gate. In the mountains, it could be dangerous. Smugglers and gangs sometimes frequented the surrounding areas. Many didn't stay long, as there were lots of whispers of a monster that called the lush green mountainside home. She gave me a hug and offered to take my bags. I waved her away. I could carry them myself. Besides, Marnie's book was in there, with its handwritten notes in the margins and highlights of passages. 
I had pored over it more than a dozen times while it was packed with information. There was nothing helpful. Still, I kept reading and rereading the passages. I was beginning to accept that it wasn't the text in the book, but her handwriting that kept me coming back. After Salwain, no one spoke of her at the Institute. It was as though she'd never existed. Her writing in that book was proof that Marnie had been here. The picture of her, Tyr, and I was evidence that she'd once had a life and was once more than a memory. I needed that more than anything. It kept me going. It kept me wanting justice. You said Tyr had completed the test. Did you ask him? Maria Rosa said, taking her seat in the living room. The doors and windows were left open, but it didn't help with the humidity. The moisture clung to my skin with little relief even from the ceiling fans. He said the same thing as Grandmare. He saw himself and nothing else, I replied. How is he doing? she asked. I shrugged. Tira texted a few times, but I'd neglected to respond. His advice was to leave it be. It was advice I was wholly prepared to ignore. Tira was trying to be helpful. Dwelling and digging like this couldn't end well, but it was what I had right now. It made me feel less powerless, less lost, and in some ways, less guilty. Marnie had volunteered to take my place. My name was called. It should have been me. And yet, here I was, another cog in the machine that contributed to her disappearance. Marnie had been lost to a ritual sacrifice, an unholy pact between Blackwell's long dead and something else. I couldn't be sure of what. Nothing in my research thus far had gotten me any closer to answering that question. Life's too short to be angry, she said. I'm not angry. I just don't want to hear what he has to say right now. She didn't say anything. I wasn't mad. I was annoyed. Though Tyr understood and to some extent shared my curiosity, he was also trying to tell me what he thought was best for me. Yes, it was his method of caretaking, and I understood that. He couldn't be here to comfort me, so he was telling me to focus on my work, the things I could solve, not dwell on something that generations of Blackwells had failed to. From the tone of his voicemails, he was worried that this was my white well, an obsession that would lead me to ruin. A little girl in a simple dress started in front of me. Maria walked right through her, and she sighed. I smiled at her. This made the specter beam. Maria's house was full of spirits. She just didn't see them. And whenever I was here, most of them made me feel quite at home. Maria, you really should try talking to some of your housemates outside of the traditional times of year, I said. They can be really helpful. Maybe to you. To me, it's like talking to the wind. They don't answer back. 
She set me up in a room on the northern side of the house with views of the mostly vacant town plaza and the crumbling San Jose de Copala church. The tour guides from Mazalan were helping to raise funds to restore it by asking tourists to donate. So far, they had been able to rebuild one of the wooden doors, allowing it to be locked at night rather than propped up with a heavy wooden beam. They still had a long way left to go. I'm thinking aguachili de camarones for dinner tonight, Maria said. Will Pablo be joining us? She shrugged. It depends. He's currently studying the Acaila that have taken a residence in the old mine. They don't normally live this far north. They're from South America, right? She nodded. Traditionally, Colombia. But I suppose like people, even creatures adapt and move. I will leave you to get settled. Let me know if you need anything. Maria shut the door as she left, leaving me alone. I set my bags on the small table near the window. A small AC unit worked diligently to provide cool air to make the room more tolerable in the humidity. It was one of those days when the idea of rain didn't seem so bad. At least it would offer some relief. The room was comfortable enough in its sparseness. I had stayed in worse places, and Maria did keep a good house. She and Pablo didn't often have guests, so it wasn't like I had expected luxury. If I'd wanted that, I could have stayed in a resort. I came to Copala to see if my old friend had anything I could learn from. My phone buzzed. Tear's face lit up the screen. I thought about answering, but decided against it, opting instead to send a brief text message. I typed out, I'm fine. In Mexico with Maria Rosa. I'll call when I'm stateside. I still wasn't ready to talk to him. After dinner, Maria, Pablo, and I retired to their library on the second floor. A large door opened up onto a balcony, but was blocked by a metal screen door. It was a good way to keep the mosquitoes out, while allowing the gentle night breeze to fill the space. We settled into a silence, the clock on the fireplace mantel filling the space with a steady tick, tick, tick. The little ghost girl took a seat next to me, playing with a doll that must have emulated one she had in life. I thought to ask her about her death, but sometimes that could be upsetting, especially to child spirits. It was best to let them tell you on their own. I finished flipping through one of Pablo's books on Mexican folklorico and set it down on the side table. The girl picked it up and replaced it on the shelf. Pablo clapped his hands together and said, How did you do that? I didn't. You have ghosts, I replied. Fantastico. I never realized. They aren't normally so active, Pablo, Maria replied. Have you tried the book on demonology from Belgium, the 15th century volumes? I shook my head. Maria retrieved it from the shelves and handed it to me. Music began to float up from the courtyard. It was the sound of a lone guitar strumming a gentle serenade. It was beautiful, and soon was accompanied by a quiet voice singing in hushed Spanish, as if to woo a lover. Do you hear that? I asked rising and going to the screen door. I opened it to look for the source of the enchanting vocalist. 
What did it sound like? Maria asked. A man. Singing. I suppose they didn't hear it. Pablo and Maria exchanged looks. Outside, below the balcony and just out the front gate was a burrow, and a man in a hat holding a silver guitar that caught the glint of moonlight and shimmered as if it were made of actual silver. Pablo came to stand next to me. El Sombrion, he muttered. I looked at him. What's that? An ageless goblin. He collects beautiful unmarried women to turn into brides. First he comes to woo them, making his bride with a burrow or mule. Then he sings to them all night to keep them awake until they are so delirious with madness that they follow him. He also feeds them dirt and rocks, Maria added. Why? I asked. To keep them with him. Pablo shut the door and locked it. We'll change your room. Move you to the second floor. The ghost girl tugged on my pant leg and smiled at me. In my head, I heard a little voice say, We'll watch over you. The house spirits would work to keep the goblin away. Maria and Pablo moved my stuff to another room in their home. This one was on the second floor, deeper in the house, and not easily accessed from the front. They salted the window sill and the doorways with black salt, and lit a fire in the fireplace, adding unnecessary heat to the room that the poor air conditioner had to fight against. That night, as the air conditioner hummed gently and the spirit's chatter carried down the hall, the music returned. El Sombrion was back, and every time I shut my eyes, the song grew louder until the roosters crow at dawn. Then the music stopped. I was exhausted at breakfast. Maria handed me a hot cup of black coffee, and I drank it up before tucking into a plate of eggs and chorizo. The first bite tasted like wet mud in my mouth. I spit it out and found pieces of gravel in it. Very funny, I muttered, pushing the plate aside. I grabbed Pablo's, sure he was playing a trick on me, took a bite, and found it was the same. It all tasted like dirt. Maria inspected the plates. He's determined, she replied. The only way to fix it is to make Alex less attractive to him. Pablo replied. Nope. Not altering my appearance for a goblin's sake. That's too patriarchal for me. Find another way. In the meantime, I'm going to attempt to take a nap. Yes, it was stubborn. And yes, it was probably a stupid thing to say. But I was tired of having things taken from me because of something else. In this little me, I felt like I was in control of my life. But it was no use. The moment I laid down, the music came back, more fervently, the voice sweeter yet more demanding. And it wasn't just the music. I could swear his face was now burned into my head, a handsome man with jet black hair and red eyes that peeked from beneath the hat he wore kept appearing in my mind's eye. I could feel him watching 
waiting, his gaze fixed upon the house and the small window that was carefully lined with salt. And in all this, I tried to work. I read book after book, restless and tired from a lack of sleep, and hangry because everything I attempted to eat tasted like dirt. I wish the damn goblin would just go. And he wasn't even malicious. He was just obnoxious like a bad stalker. I picked up a book on portals to the other planes. I had to get back to work. I had to focus. And lucky for me, this book was more helpful. It talked about mirrors. Finally, I'd found something that might just help me figure out how to help Marnie. Because she wasn't a spirit, and I couldn't reach her through mediumship. So I refused to believe she was dead. Maybe it was foolish. But hope was a dangerous and precious thing. Chapter 9 of the books talked about mirrors as gateways. I eagerly devoured the pages, reading the various accounts of mirrors acting as portals for fae, spirits, and other supernatural creatures, including demons. I reached the thirteenth page of the chapter to find it torn out, as was the next. The last words that I could find in that chapter were, quote, To activate the portal, one must, end quote. That was it. Whatever came next, whatever instruction to open the portal, to get through it, to somehow pierce the veil, was gone. I made note of the book's name. The Magician's Compendium to Walking Between Worlds, first published in 1486. Oh, I'd find those missing pages. This could not be the only edition still in existence. There had to be other collectors out there, and I would pay whatever it took to get a copy. A knock at the door unsettled me, startling even the two ghosts who accompany me silently in the library. For a moment, I thought about not opening the door. But just like in my room, Pablo and Maria had taken care of salt here too. So I opened it. There was nothing. I made my way down the stairs and out to the gated courtyard. The singing stopped, and El Sombrion looked at me. He removed his hat and smiled as he dipped his head. Senorita. His voice was a deep baritone. Que bonita, senorita. His words had a pull. I reached out and pushed the gate open. The burrow brayed. Aquí, carita. His eyes were flaming rubies, bright and rich like blood. A hand grasped mine and pulled me away from El Sombrion. I looked up to see who had stopped me from confronting the goblin. Tears gaze bet mine. She's not interested, are you, darling? He said. I shook my head. 
good to know you're still my girl. He smiled and bent his head to kiss me. When I looked to where the goblin had been, he and the burrow were gone. Dear, I said. Alex. He paused, then said, I just want to be near you. I took his hand and squeezed. For the moment, despite everything, that would have to be enough. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Blackwell Files podcast. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Blackwell Files podcast. The Blackwell Files is a production of Sacktown Interactive Incorporated. All rights reserved.